listening to Closer Look. I'm Billy Branham, and this is Closer Look. Everywhere you go, you see children glued to their devices, often playing games. Let's talk about how gaming affects a kid's brain, and we'll explore their effects on social skills and family life. And let's find out how we as parents can keep everything in balance. Joining me is Bob Hoos, Senior Associate Editor with Plugged In, part of Focus on the Family. Bob reviews games and apps for Plugged In readers. You've been called an expert in gaming. Why is that? <laughs> well, I, I sort of just like to think of myself as a gaming guy. That, that takes all the pressure off. But part of my job here at Plugged In is to go through our games reviews and to review apps and, and different aspects of technology for our readers. We hear a lot of the negative about gaming. Let's start on the positive. How can it be useful for kids and for families to use gaming? Well, that. It's a very good question, and, and we've got how many hours? Can we talk about this now? <laughs> um, I think a good starting point for parents is to start thinking about gaming, about, well, and about all aspects of technology, whether it be social media or whatever. Start thinking about them not as good or bad, but as tools. I think video games very much can be a tool like fire or a, or a good power drill. And um, if you use them well, then actually they can be beneficial. If you use them in a, not such a great way, then they can, somebody can end up getting hurt. And what I mean by using well, there was a, a study that talked about how kids who play games for an hour or less per day, an hour or less, they tend to be more social, you know, have more friends, then they tend to be more satisfied with their life than kids who don't play video games at all. I think that a lot of parents might be surprised by that. And on top of that, then there's other benefits too, like um, their reaction times to things like in tests are, are better than non-gamers. And they have significantly higher scores in school. And, and again, those are things we don't think about connecting with games, but this study showed that they were all very true. And I think, why is that? Well, I think like the higher reaction times probably comes from the hand-eye coordination between the controller and what's going on on the screen. And the, uh, the significantly higher scores probably due to the fact that a lot of games are all about problem solving. And so kids are in a way, it's almost like a school. The kids are trained to think their way around difficult situations and, uh, and challenges in front of them and try and find a good solution. And I think that helps tie into a lot of areas where they are, are problem solving with math or with maybe something that they're, they're working on in stories that they're reading and trying to figure out. There's a lot of ways then I think that video games can be very positive. And now joining me, Dr. Scott Benson with Creekside Psychiatric Center in Pensacola, Florida. Bob just kind of recapped some of the positive effects of gaming. So let's start with you with the not so positive effects. I think if we talk about the positive effect of gaming, because we, as human beings, we've been playing games for all of human history. And games is really a way to practice some of the things that may confront us later on so that we can kind of think through and something to kind of think of how we might handle it, even though we haven't been confronted with that. And so people can practice things. So I'm in the military community, and so I meet a lot of people who have gone to war college. And at war college, they play war games. And so they're playing war games in order to try to anticipate what kind of things could happen and how we would deal with it so that we could be prepared for those things as they did happen. So the gaming part of it is really important. It's an important part of children growing up. When we've moved from being outside playing uh, chase games and tag games and competitive games, uh, when we move all of that 
from outside and fresh air being with other live human beings. And we now are going to have eight people sitting in a room, each with their own electronic device playing either against another electronic device somewhere uh, or against some people living on the far side of the world. You know, it certainly changes it and changes the kind of concept of that. So I think there are parts of it that have to be fabulously wonderful, and I think we've been concerned that parts of it are get a little bit out of hand. How does gaming affect relationships outside of interacting with someone within a game? I'll give you an example. So my mother-in-law, who's has always been a great bridge player, and she can't get out to play bridge much anymore, so she now she plays bridge on her computer, and she plays with people all over the world. <laughs> so... Uh, And then she's figured out how to get on Skype, and so she can talk to them, and they have conversations, and so they develop friendships. So there are certain parts of games and gaming that are productive, and there are other parts of it that I think are where people are using that as something to fill their downtime, uh, but they're avoiding other opportunities that are are more growth-promoting. This is a closer look at gaming and its effect on our kids. I'm Billy Branham talking with Bob Hoos with Plugged In and Dr. Scott Benson, a psychiatrist in Pensacola, Florida. And Bob, this one's for you. How do we know when a child has pushed it a little too far and is using gaming inappropriately or maybe even a little too much? One of the things that will tell parents right off the bat is if you can't seem to pry the game out of their hand, you know, and I, and I think parents, they're much more savvy these days because we're surrounded by technology all around us. But I think even parents that are aware and setting some limitations and things like that will find that kids want to push that boundary, want to play more and more and more and more. And, and the problem with that is that not only do they become less social. They interact with others less. It can almost get to the point. I don't like the word addiction when I when you talk about games, but it can almost get to that point. In fact, World Health Organization, they just came up with a new classification called gaming disorder as a mental health condition. How they described that was an increased priority given to gaming to the point that gaming takes precedence over other interests and daily activities. And I think if you see your child going in that direction, and it can really happen, especially these days with games like Fortnite. They're so popular and kids just can't seem to pry themselves away. And if parents see that sort of thing happening, they have to start talking and start communicating with the kids. And and, and by the way, one of the things parents often ask is, well, why is this such a big deal? Why do they even care about, I've played video games, it's not a big deal to me. Why is my kid so glued to the set or to their tablet? And I think it comes down to the way games are designed. They are designed with these pleasure factor built in within the context of the game they reward you over and over and over and what happens is your brain really likes that it sort of feels good with that in fact neurons in your brain start uh, releasing this chemical called dopamine that's a neurotransmitter but it's sort of like candy for the brain kids will start playing and they get that little reward center tickled and they say, wow, I got to keep going. It's just like, okay, you open up a box of candy and you eat one and you think, oh, that's all I need. Maybe another one. And they keep coming back over and over and over. Next thing you know, they're hooked. It's much more difficult to pry them away. And I think when you see that, then you can say to yourself, okay, we need to make sure that we're holding our limitations, make those limits as strict as we can. And Dr. Benson, how can parents know what will work best in setting limits with their kids? Parents I see in my work, what I tell them is, I mean, let's look and see what the problem is. 
and where do you want to go with this? My daughter has background in science uh, in her work. She uses computers all the time, and they had computers at home, and they told her children that we just don't have those kind of games on our computers at home. What they do at their house is that they play board games where you're interacting with live human beings, and mostly they realize that electronic games, the way they're constructed and the way they're built, they are so addicting and they're so isolating because, for the most part, you're not playing with another person in the room or you're not even playing against anybody out in the world. So if a family says, you know, I'm really worried that family's becoming isolated and our children don't talk to us, well, how are they spending their time and what do they do? Or their grades are going down, they're not doing their homework, and so how do we put some limits there? I think people have to look and say, well, what is the problem first? But the games are so addicting. I can remember as a child going to different establishments when they had pinball machines. So I'm really old. Uh, so I remember pinball machines. And the pinball machines had a little sign on them that said, if you're under 16, you can't play the pinball machine. <laughs> People understood that they were built to be just that kind of little bit addicting. So we have a whole bunch of stuff that's just a little bit addicting, and it's a benefit or reward. So they give you a challenge, and they let you win just enough so that you keep coming back, but you never get the jackpot. And Bob, what do you think about that? I think it really comes down to communication as much as possible. Uh, that's the very first step. Communication with your child, talking through. There was a time in the past when, when especially we as Christian parents thought, just rip out that Xbox, throw it in the trash, and everything will be A-OK. But these days, it's different because we are immersed in this technology and video games and laptops and iPads. It's just a part of everyday life for kids nowadays. You can't just lock your kid in the room. But on the other hand, you have to be able to talk with them, help them understand, discuss what it means to deal with games and other social media things with a Christ-centered perspective. I know for a, a little kid that might not be as easy to navigate, but you can talk to them about what's the good side how do you make sure that you're controlling the things you're playing and they're not controlling you? You can help them see what a positive approach to games and gaming can be. And I think that's an important step right there. This is a closer look at gaming and its effect on our kids. I'm Billy Branham talking with Bob Hoos with Plugged In and Dr. Scott Benson, a psychiatrist in Pensacola, Florida. And Dr. Benson, why is it that our brains make us so want to be on our electronic devices all the time? It's the pleasure and the reward, and it's the complexity of the interaction. It's very clear that if you're trying to talk to another person, especially if it's over some kind of emotional kind of issue, that requires a huge amount of brain energy to keep all the little inputs and all the little stimuluses together. And so, uh, as a consequence, lots of people avoid having to deal with other people. So they just don't sit down and have other conversations. They don't enjoy groups. But we also know that if I can get past the work effort of starting to get along with these people, that there's huge benefit to working within a group because then I build a community and I have relationships and people that I can rely on and depend on. So what happens electronically is ju just much easier. Uh, I had a friend who had to go over to our local college they got there right as class time was changing and all of the students came pouring out of the auditorium where they had just had a lecture. And he was so disappointed because every student that came out already had their phone on and they're walking looking at their phone and that no students were talking to each other. And, and he commented, he said, you know, back when I was in college, we would come out and we would talk to each other about what we just heard. 
to me, I mean, that, it would make sense that enhances the learning experiences. So I think the devices are just, they're less complicated than a human interaction. They're, they're constructed so that they're inherently very addicting because I can tap, tap, tap and something amazing happens. Do you think this is different for boys than it is for girls? I don't know that the data's in. I mean, well, obviously girls are different than boys and they have different maturity levels uh, and things like that. It's not that the electronic stuff itself is a problem but it has become a distraction away from other things that this family has said are important. So on Sunday morning, should our family go to church or am I going to leave you home to play whatever those games are? It's a clash of values. And so a family has to make decisions about which direction are we going to go in. And so a whole bunch of people would say, well, you know, I would rather, you know, it's just much easier to stay home and play this video game than it is to go to church and deal with complicated, important issues, uh, or to go over to my grandmother's house. But there are things that we, as a family, there are things that we have to do, and as and personally, there are things that we have to be self-disciplined enough so that I can pull myself away from this thing that gives me some kind of pleasure, uh, whatever that is, and I have to pull myself away from that and go over and, and like, go to work. Uh, so I need to put down my phone and get back to work. Now, Bob, you mentioned your daughter was more into social media versus gaming. And do you think that's typical for girls to be into that behavior on a device versus boys? I think so. I think so. But I know there are a lot of girls who really enjoy gaming, and there are even clubs online of girl gamers. As far as social media, I would tend to think that that's true. Go on to social media and they communicate and they use it. But I don't think it's as big a deal as it is for young women and girls just because of that social component. I, I think young women, they tend to really gravitate toward things that, that can help them actually connect with friends. Think of technology and think, okay, now that isolates people, doesn't it? Not in some cases. I think with young women especially, social media can be a real connecting point. Is it okay to play with your child? You have hit upon an absolute A, top shelf solution to this whole problem and in terms of communication with kids too. I always advocate that parents get in there and actually play the games themselves. When my son, when he was going through his teen years, one thing that we had in common was we could play video games and he loved video games. And when I got in there and played the games with him, there was a number of benefits. One, it helped me see the kinds of things that he might want to play. And if there were problems with some of those games, I could talk through it with him. And if there weren't problems with the game, if nothing else, it gave us this common area that we could both enjoy and spend time together doing. So as he got older, you know how sometimes you'll have teens that the last thing they want to do is talk to you about anything. I mean, they don't even, you know, you get to a certain age, you don't want to talk to your parents at all. But the great thing about something like playing a video game with your kids is that it just gives you something fun that you can do. And what I found as I was alongside my son even on a single-player game, I could play one level and then hand him the controller and he could play the next. And we could relax and laugh and actually have a good time communicating about a variety of different things. My son actually would share some things that might, might have been going on at school or some of the things he was thinking. And he had a lot easier time doing that while we were doing something together, like playing a video game, than he would if we just sat down around the kitchen table and had a long talk. So, yes, I mean, I, I highly encourage 
that parents get involved and play with their kids. And this is a pretty big question, Dr. Benson. From a psychiatric point of view, does violence in games necessarily translate to violence in the real world? Well, obviously we don't have the science to tell us. You have to have a certain mentality to want to play that particular game in the first place. I'm a baseball fan. Um, I don't watch much football and I hardly ever watch basketball until it's the Final Four. But there are other people that are all over basketball and there are other there are people that are all over violent video games. We have a lot of kind of isolated, reclusive kind of people that are look like they're a little bit unstable. I think we've always had those people. I don't think they got that way because of violent video games. Video games are not helping them in what our our society's quest should be, helping them be more engaged with society, helping them be productive and carrying their part of the load. So when it comes to video games, the first message is, is I want to be sure the grown-ups that are in the room, that they have good self-control over their use of screens and their screen time, and that they are being really careful to think about how does this fit with our family values and uh, where do we want our family to go? And, and there are lots of things that we know are important. Uh, having families' dinners together and uh, having families talk to each other and are, are all important. If everybody's off on their screens, that's not going to happen. We're talking about the positives and negatives of gaming and the effects on our kids' relationships and minds. This is Closer Look. I'm Billy Branham, joined by Dr. Scott Benson, a psychiatrist in Pensacola, Florida, and Bob Hoos, senior associate editor and gaming enthusiast with Plugged In. About for parents who have little ones not quite using those devices yet, is there a way to set them up for a more balanced life that includes gaming? And that comes back to what I was talking about with communication. I think starting from square one, the very first step is for mom and dad not to use their phone or uh, a tablet as a babysitter. You set up the rules and say, okay, if it's all right with you for your daughter to use your phone and play Candy Crush or something like that, or if it's all right with you, your son to use your tablet for a while, there's a certain limit. And the great thing about phones and tablets now is that they all have parental controls that you can use to do that. The easy part for parents sometimes, or the lazy part, let's put it that way, is when you're busy and you've got something to do and, you're, and your little one just is bored, you hand them the phone. And I I think we as parents need to make sure we get away from that, that we don't fall into that trap because that's how kids can get so hooked into this constant simulation from a little screen that it makes it much more difficult than later on to pry it out of their hands. The fact is that I think it's okay for little ones to be bored sometimes because that's the point where they start getting creative. They have to be creative outside of a screen. They have to use their brain and maybe color a little bit more or find that big old box that nobody's using and play with that. I mean, there's a lot of things that little kids, young kids can do when they get bored that actually ends up being something very positive for them as compared to just handing them the screen. The handing them the screen actually just starts setting up patterns that it's very difficult to break out of later on. Can you undo bad practices in an older child? (laughs) Well, that is a little bit tougher. I mean, if you're a dad, for example, and you suddenly realize that your 16-year-old has an issue... It's going to be much more of an uphill battle because, as I mentioned earlier, 16-year-olds, not only do they not want to talk about their technology, they don't want to talk to you at all. But it is possible. Again, it's going to take patience. It's going to take asking them questions and getting them 
to find the logic in limitations. You can explain to a teenager, for example, how some of these things can actually not benefit them but hurt them in the long run if they are so consumed by something. And if you're able to get your foot in the door and start that process, it can open that door a little bit. If you've got somebody who's a a regular video game player and you just sit in there for a while and watch what they're doing and those types of things can help make it easier to transition into the point of being able to talk to your teen about wise choices when it comes to their video game play or whatever. We are trying to help prepare them for a life outside your home, to to think and to work their way through things, to be discerning in their choices uh, of any kind of media, to be discerning and to and to be wise in some of the choices they make. And it can start right here with the video game usage. But if they're older and you haven't even started the process, it's going to be a long haul. So be patient. <laughs> be patient. How can parents yeah. ready a device? for the kids, as in looking for hidden apps? There are a number of apps out there that look like one thing on the phone, but are actually something else in reality. If you spot that calculator, for example, that's the one where you can hide pictures behind it, isn't it? And then secondly, they've got to continue to educate themselves. Yes, you can start out with a a clean phone that has nothing on it and hand that over to your your teen, but you've got to always update. You've got to keep your eyes open. Another great thing is that more and more apps are coming out not only to help parents in keeping usage of time on a phone to a certain minimum, that'll give you a detailed reports on what they've been using, how they've been scanning the web or, or what sites they've gone to. And they can even set up on their phone blackout times, times when uh, the phone just sort of shuts down and the only you can use it for is an emergency call. There's a lot of different techniques like that, a lot of different apps and a lot of different approaches that you can use. Bob, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for sharing your knowledge today. My pleasure. And Dr. Benson, any last advice for parents finding it a struggle to help kids have a healthy balance between gaming and life? Often I will encourage parents, I say, what what you need to do is you need to totally take control of it. And they say, well, how long do I keep it? And I said, well, what you do is that you give it back to them about two weeks after they stop asking for it. Because if they're begging for it, please, I've got to have my games. That's the only thing I have is my whole life. That child's gone. They're really way out. And so I don't know what the problem is, but your video game certainly not going to fix that problem. So we're just going to keep that until we get to the bottom of this. When you take something away, then to make sure that we've had a really serious, honest conversation about knowing how and when and where that we're going to start having access to it again. I've had parents that they finally come to appreciate the fact that they need to take up their child's phone at night because children will keep their phone in their room. I use it for my alarm clock. Okay, well, here's 4.95. You can go buy a wind-up alarm clock. That'll get you up in the morning. But they keep their phone in their room, and their friends are sending them messages all hours of the day and night, messing up their sleep. And so there are many families where they just need to confiscate the phones and keep them in a safe place or a different place. Is there anything that you can think to add? Well, I think parents are really challenged with all of this. I think as human beings, we are all challenged by how exactly do we use our computers. I mean, I'll find myself doing some work on my computer at night, and I'll get a little bit bored, and I'll think, well, I'll play one game of solitaire. Well, then it's become four games of solitaire, and I haven't finished my work. 
And so I have to really do that for myself every day. Well, if I'm having that much trouble, I have to believe that other people who are not as old as I am probably are having even more trouble figuring out how to set limits on these very valuable tools. They're very valuable. I have no question about that. And then we certainly have ways of making them very useful in education. But we don't want to forget the personal touch. And the more times that we can spend with people in person, the better it is for our emotional health and the better it is for us. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Benson. Well, thank you for having me and enjoy chatting with you. The bottom line, gaming doesn't have to be a negative in your house. It's about balance, limits, and communication. For a closer look, I'm Billy Branham.